everybody. Welcome to a special edition of Talking Cars. I am Wendy Bounds. I'm the Editorial Director and Chief Content Officer here at Consumer Reports. I am so pleased to be a guest host here today along with your favorite talking car experts as part of our annual meeting here at the Auto Test Center in Connecticut. We are joined by a fabulous live audience. You just heard them a moment ago. They are our subscribers. They are our donors, our fan base for talking cars, our employees, and our board members. They've been getting a whirlwind tour and even a few laps around the track, I hear. Uh, so our focus today is self-driving cars and how that fast-moving technology is already changing the way we drive. We are going to be going to our audience for some questions at the end of the show, so I hope you will stick around. A lot of ground to cover. I want to get right to it and introduce our folks here. Jake Fisher, all your loyal viewers know you, but for newcomers, Tell us a little bit about what you do at the track. Sure, I'm, I'm Jake Fisher. I'm the director of auto testing here, which means they actually pay me to play with cars, which is really great. Um, so under me, it's all the, the track testing that we do out here, as well as the stuff that we get in terms of survey. So a lot of people are, are very familiar with uh, reliability and that piece of it. But we also do a lot of survey asking about autonomous features, uh, safety features, um, and satisfaction of, of the whole vehicle. Great. Jen Stockburger, they call you the glue. Yeah. The voice of reason. The voice of reason. Yeah. I'm Jennifer Stockberger, Director of Operations here at the Tracks, kind of fancy term. The team that does the day-to-day -day operations here at the Track reports to me. I'm also a part of the safety team, which includes the tires, the child seat testing, and when we're in the autonomous cars, we're really thinking about um, are they making us safer? And in some cases, is the implementation actually presenting more risk than benefit? So we'll talk about some of that. David, a true safety expert and maybe the man with the longest title at Consumer Reports. Let's hear it. <laughs> Thanks, Wendy. I'm David Friedman. I'm the Director of Cars and Product Policy and Analysis here at Consumer Reports. You be the judge on the length. <laughs> um, so uh, I work in Washington, D.C., and what I'm trying to do is to make sure that uh, car makers, product manufacturers, and policymakers are doing everything they can to make sure that your cars and products are as safe as they can be, as sustainable as they can be, and are a lot more affordable. Uh, before I joined Consumer Reports, I had the honor of running the Office of Energy Efficiency and Renewable Energy at the Department of Energy, lots of energy there. <laughs> and, uh, and before that, uh, I had the honor of running the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Excellent, good panel. All right, let's dig right in. When people hear the word self-driving cars, they think of a lot of things. They think of no steering wheels. They think of people asleep behind the wheel or watching movies while they drive. Jake, just very quickly, what is the vision? Is that our future? Well, it could be. I mean, it may be a long way away, but I mean, there's a lot of excitement about what that could hold. I mean, right now we have human drivers driving vehicles and humans are, are really good drivers. However, they are human. So if we get to a point where they're really a self-driving, computers driving these vehicles, maybe that promise of zero fatalities could be a real one. But we're gonna have to see as we progress towards that. You mentioned zero fatalities, and safety is a real component to this technology. And Jen Stockberger, you have some statistics that are just gonna floor all of us. Right, so, so the recently released 2016, and we'll talk about fatality, there's a lot of injury, David and I were talking. You'll hear the stats come up when they talk about autonomous driving. 94% of those were human error. Um, and when you look at them, it, it makes some sense. 3,400 3, of them, and a little more, distraction. Uh, 10,000, more than 10,000 people didn't put a seatbelt on. Alcohol-related, 10,000. Speed-related, 10,000. But I think the, the potential of even where we are in autonomous building blocks right now is for those moments when 
we're not at our best. Jake said it, we're human drivers. We do check out at times. If we have systems that will help back us up as drivers, or even back us up if someone else transgresses you know, in our driving lane, that's the key to where these features hold safety potential. And, and David, you've devoted your career to auto safety. Let's take one step back. Are cars in general protecting us enough today? I mean, sadly, the short answer is no. I, I think the statistics Jen mentioned just really bear repeating. In 2016, 37,461 lives were lost on our roadways. About 2.5 million people were injured in over 6 million crashes. This is the definition of a public health epidemic. Our cars aren't protecting us enough in a crash, and they and drivers aren't doing enough to avoid those crashes in the first place. That's why this automation is so exciting, because it could eliminate that. It could also provide mobility for folks with disabilities that, that bar them from even driving, and, and our parents and grandparents. I mean, the opportunity is huge, but yeah, are we going to get there or not? And are we going to get there responsibly or not? That's the question. And you say could and opportunity, but this isn't all about the future because some of this technology already is coming to the market. And Jake, you have driven thousands of miles in cars with these autonomous features. What are some of the most important advances that you're seeing and, and from which brands? Well, first of all, there aren't autonomous vehicles, right? I mean, that doesn't exist right now. So anyone who reads the story about autonomous vehicle crashing, it's just not true. But we do see these technologies and the building blocks, as Jad says, they're coming to fruition. And some of them are being implemented really well. So, so some of the uh, situations where they could, uh, they could re the vehicle would react for you, uh, automatic emergency braking, forward collision warning. It's a warning system. But also, when you look at the lane departure stuff, there's a lot of people who go off the road, and that could cause a fatality. We've got vehicles that can steer you back if you go over those lanes. Those are really important things. But we are seeing these kind of semi-autonomous features. And we've seen, we were doing some demos today about you know, Tesla, uh, um, Volvo, Mercedes-Benz. They have some of these things. And we really got to get talking about it. Is this a convenience feature? Is this kind of a gizmo? Is this kind of some toy? Or is this something that's going to make you safer? And right now, the implementation is a little bit you know, not, not quite standard, not quite really proven to figure out if it's going to make people safe or not. And David, jump in a little bit there. I mean, what, from your perspective, what are some of the most exciting outcomes and some of, the, some of the risks or things that aren't quite there yet with the features Jake's mentioning? Sure. Well, I mean, no surprise, Jake nailed it there. I mean, um, automatic emergency braking and forward collision warning, our, our friends at the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety show can reduce rear-end crashes by about 40%. I mean, that's incredible. And and what's so amazing about that is you don't even know they're there until you get into that emergency. So you don't over-depend on them. And that's one of the biggest risks of some of these convenience features is people overestimate how much they can do for you when the reality is every car that's on the road today, if you're a driver, your job is still to drive. You can't hop in the backseat. You can't go to sleep. You can't start texting. You've got to pay attention to that road, keep your eyes on the road, your hands on the wheel, and especially keep your brain engaged. And Jen, do you want to add in on that? I was just yeah. going to say, you know, and when you think about, you, you all drove here today on our rural, windy roads, and, and those are the type of roads where you're very engaged. You have to be. I mean, you're making a turn. But those long highways, and those are, those are where some of this semi-autonomous has potential, that the roads where we're most likely to check out from fatigue or boredom or just inattention are the places where these semi-autonomous building blocks could work. But it's all about 
implementing them to those areas only and, and implementing them you know, responsibly. Well, let's take that one step further and dig in a little bit to how the technology will work because you, we hear some of these common questions from people and one, one I often hear, and I'll, Jen or Jake, this could go to you, but how will an autonomous car know how to follow traffic signs and traffic signals, some of the things that obviously we do today as humans? Yeah. Well, look, I mean, they have, there's different ways of doing it. A lot has to do with cameras, right? You're looking at lines. You're looking at uh, the GPS data. Um, one of the most interesting vehicles, and I'll kind of break it right now, we just got delivery of a new Cadillac, which has Super Cruise, which is another one of these systems, and they're actually using some mapping that they actually drive these and actually have a very high, high accuracy GPS to map the, the, the vehicle's uh, trajectory. But the problem is not those situations. The problem is the situation of what is, you know, what happens when there's the, the policeman there in the intersection waving you through? How is the computer going to figure out, one, now it can go through the red light, two, is it really a policeman or some random person waving at someone else? So, I mean, there's a very much high-level order stuff that we do and we take for granted, this, this, this talking to other drivers, waving, waving people through, that we're not even beginning to understand how computers can do these things. You're talking about you know, something that might throw the system off the way it's programmed. And, and what about in a situation, since, since these cars do re rely heavily on their vision systems, the cameras, the radars, would they be able to function, say, after a natural disaster or a hurricane, which we have unfortunately seen a lot of this year, if the landscape is dramatically altered? Right, and that, and that gets to what Jake's saying. What happens when things change, right. be it nap? Now, a camera system could see that assuming there's not torrential rain or snow, which are some of the limitations of the systems right now. But yeah, it, it's when, and that's the, the iffy area, is you can map all the roads in this country and, and have a pretty good handle until they change. And that's where it well, And I would just add, let, let's be frank, what we're talking about here is artificial intelligence. Yeah. Right. We're talking about right. a car that's supposed to have the smarts of a human and the repeatability that a human can't even match and the reflexes that a human can't even match. That's a tall order. It's, it's, again, this amazing possibility, but we shouldn't underscore, we shouldn't underestimate the challenge here. If we can break that nut, that's fantastic, but this isn't easy to get it right. So with all those challenges, and you're saying how it's not easy to get it right, and maybe you guys don't even, aren't even gonna agree on the answer to this question, but how long until we potentially turn our roads over totally to cars? Is it 20 years? Is it 30 years? Is it, is it 15? Like, what do you think, Jake? Well, for, first of all, 99% I mean, of the driving, it's easy. We're there, the technology's there. That 1%, those random things, that may be so far, honestly, it may be never. Because really for a auto, autonomous car to drive in any situation we would drive, I don't think there was any programmer that would ever program a car to do some of the stuff that we do. <laughs> you know, whether it's you know, driving in the snow and whiteout conditions, it just, they're not going to be capable of doing what we do naturally. I don't know, it could be a very long time, maybe never. Jen? Yeah, and I would say the same thing. I, it'll be a very long time to get through this middle ground. There's the fully autonomous of someday, and there's the us driving engaged of the past. This middle is gonna be a very long time. Um, to get through these things that Jake talked about. And um, we'll be doing this testing right along while we get through this transition. But I think it, if we ever really get there, it'll be decades. And David, that middle, any estimate on how long that middle is? Well, they're, they're all being way too wishy-washy. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I said they wouldn't I'm, I'm going to borrow from a colleague of mine and paraphrase. Uh, we are going to have, everyone's going to have fully autonomous vehicles in 17 years, three months, two weeks, <laughs> one day. Now, how do I know that? Why do I pick that number? Because it's as good as any other number anyone can, can pick. The reality is, you know, we really don't know, and, and they're absolutely right. We don't know how long this phase is going to be, but I'll be honest, I, I think I'm maybe a little more optimistic. Um, I think we can get there. I think the question is going to be what guardrails are in place uh, to help make sure that that happens. But I, I really do think we're going to get there. Um, I, I'd, I'd put it in the 20 to 30 year well, mark, but. Well, let me add something to it. I mean, you know, whether or not we need to get there is another whole another question. Because the truth is that we will be in a situation where we're partners with our vehicles. And as Jen says, there's long highway cruises. You know, maybe that sure the car could completely autonomously drive there. But then when you get in the back roads, I'll drive. You know what? I like to drive there anyway. So so I think we're going to be in a situation where we're partners. Sometimes the car drives. Sometimes we drive. And maybe that's okay. And maybe that's enough to really change the landscape. And those he, he are the you wishy washy. You got to jump yeah. in. It was just you. Oh, it was yeah. you. Those are the handoff. This 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 idea of handoff. That's where that comes in. And you'll hear these terms of of engagement and handoff. And are you ready as the driver right. to take back over? When it's, when it's no longer a long highway. I also think we'll see it in dedicated applications, and David talked about. If there's a lane that, that's for disabled, autonomous driving, to get disabled people where they need to go, that would be fantastic. And I do think we'll see that in a shorter period of time. But for all of us here in this room to be driving an autonomous car, I think is, is still a long way away. So in terms of who's watching over us, lots of discussion in the marketplace about how involved the government should be or shouldn't be in the regulating and the testing of this technology. David, I'm going to look right at you. <laughs> are the rules keeping pace with what the manufacturers are delivering to consumers? Well, I mean, the short answer is, is no. And actually, the scary part about it is there's folks in Congress, there's folks in the auto industry, and even in the administration who are actually trying to roll back the protections we already have right now under the guise of accelerating the technology. That, that's one of the things that I'm really worried about. I mean, if you think of the pace of innovation right now, I'd argue it matches and maybe even exceeds the innovation we saw with the invention of the automobile itself. So think about that. The Model T came out in about, I think it was 1908. It took about 60 years before the first auto safety regulations were in place at the federal level. We can't afford 60 years for the same thing to happen when it comes to autonomous vehicles. So we've got a lot of work to do to make sure that uh, automakers and the government step up and protect consumers uh, while also helping to accelerate the, the good things that the technology can provide. Jake, do you agree with that on the pace of innovation? I mean, you've been testing cars for a long time here. Have you ever seen the speed to market of this nature? No. I mean, this is this, it's, it's exponential because everything is now software now. It's, 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 as you say, it's artificial intelligence. And we're just, just leapfrogging into how we're doing this stuff. And it's not about just you know, getting another 10 horsepower a year or, or, or three miles per gallon here, but it's getting the situation where you know, you're handing over the steering wheel. I mean, it, it's a complete fundamental change when now the car is steering for you and it's just completely changing the landscape, yeah. It's, it's an amazing time. 
so many of these broader implications about self-driving cars come down to matters of safety, insurance, ethics, privacy. There's no way we can get to them all in, in 45 minutes. But I do want to tackle one that's critical to us here at CR, and that is data security. And uh, Jake, I am going to go back to you quickly, because unlike the cars that most people grew up with, autonomous vehicles will rely heavily on software. So sure. what are the privacy implications if the car knows what you're doing? What about hacking? This is going to take a few beats here. So, Jake, you start. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, you know, many of us have heard of a black box, you know, this whole idea that you crash and they can go figure out what happened. But we're getting to this situation where the vehicle knows where you are, knows who you're talking to on your phone, it knows where you've been, it knows potentially what you said, and it has a data connection going to the car company back and forth and recording that. So it's not very hard to figure out, this, wow, that's a whole lot of data about me that I don't want to necessarily have in my hands. That already exists now. I yeah, mean, I mean you think of, of vehicles now, that's already happening. This over-the-air update that you talked about, they already, are doing, they already have that connection. I think that the question is who that belongs to. Hmm. Is that your data that needs to be protected somewhere? Or does it belong to the insurance company or the car company? And, and what are they allowed to do with it and, once they and, know it? How do you make sure crash investigators can get access to it? Right. I mean, you want consumers to be able to protect their data, but you also want crash investigators to be able to gain access appropriately to data so they can figure out what happened, because that could truly be the difference between life and death with these technologies, is if you find a problem or a defect, you got to get that information out there so they can fix it. Right. And who's Whose role is it to protect us from hacking? Like, who is that going to be, David? Well, uh, this is a, a critical issue. And, and actually, back when I was at, at NHTSA, um, the auto industry at the time, this was in, in 2014, was saying, you know, we're not going to do a lot on this cybersecurity issue because none of our cars have been hacked yet. Yet? Yet. <laughs> <laughs> Gives you a lot of comfort. That, yeah. Exactly. So I'll admit, I'll admit that scared the heck out of me. Uh, and thanks to uh, one of the great folks there, uh, Nat Buse, uh, he uh, asked us to really push the auto industry and write letters to every single CEO in the auto industry, pushing them to create something called an ISAC, which is an information sharing and analysis uh, committee that pulled together all of the auto industry to start sharing cybersecurity information and working together to solve this problem. Am I convinced they're doing enough right now? No, but they're starting but a lot more needs to be done, and I think NHTSA um, and Department of Homeland Security and others need to keep pushing on this issue. It, it's a critical safety issue. Jen, when you were rattling off some of those statistics in the beginning about safety, um, you know, it, it cuts to, I think, potentially an expectation. You guys tell me if this is true. There, is there an expectation in the marketplace that accident avoidance software will be 100% effective, right? And then the second part of that is, if someone is in an accident in a self-driving car, who, who do they sue? Who, who's at fault? <laughs> yeah, and I think these conversations are already happening, and it becomes who's the definition of the driver mm -hmm. at the moment? If it's you, I think it would still be similar to the legal implications we have today, that you were in control of that vehicle. If you aren't and you're in this autonomous mode, the driver is technically the car at that point. And, and perhaps the manufacturer is liable at that point. So it, it changes who the driver is. And what about the insurance market, David? Does it change that? Well, I, I think it could change the insurance market. I think ultimately this is something that either is going to have to get settled in the courts or uh, state or federal uh, legislators are going to have to step in and create some definitions here. I mean, we're, we're already seeing this uh, 
in real time. I mean, there was this really sad crash with a Tesla where it ran into an 18-wheeler. Um, and on the one hand, you could argue, well, the driver was ignoring all the warnings, the driver was operating the vehicle under conditions the vehicle shouldn't have been operated on, so it's the driver's fault, right? Well, on the other hand, um, the, uh, the NTSB, the National uh, Transportation Safety Board, did an inv investigation into this crash and found, well, the automaker was also partly at fault because they let the driver operate under these conditions and they didn't stop the car when the driver continued to uh, ignore the warnings. So the definition of who's responsible is a lot grayer right now and that, that's why someone may need to step in. I would argue at the end of the day, car companies should do everything they can in those situations to, to protect the driver and make it safe for them. This shouldn't be a legal question on, on some level. It should be an ethical question. And ultimately to protect themselves. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And un unrealistic, Jake, for, for people, consumers, to expect this technology to be 100% effective in protecting them in a crash. Right. I mean, there's some situations that's going to be able to, to, to mitigate or and, and let, let me use that word, mitigate. I mean, even, even when you look at uh, front crash protection, we look at automatic emergency braking, they're not always going to stop the vehicle. I mean, there's testing that does on the, on the, we, that's being done on these vehicles, and maybe at 20 miles per hour, maybe at 25 miles per hour, but if you're going 50, hmm. don't think for a second, wow, I don't have to hit the brakes, it's going to do it for me, because it may, but it may mean that you're going to the hospital instead of instead of a fatality and, and and that's a I mean it's a good thing that they're they're mitigating and they're helping these situations but no they're not going to prevent every crash well and that's the overconfidence issue right. that you talk about both of you right. talk about a lot right is if a driver doesn't really understand what it does and thinks that it's going to protect them both at 25 and at 50 and 80 miles an hour they may drive more recklessly and we've seen that in the past right I mean with things like um, ABS uh, where consumers were like hey my car is going to take care of me in a, in a braking incident, so I'm going to drive a little more aggressively. And we didn't really see a lot of safety benefits from ABS because the driver overestimated what the technology could do. We don't want the same thing here. That's an added risk of things moving so quickly, right. too, is we haven't gotten a chance to catch up to even know what, what they all can do. There, there was an incident with a, it was a Mercedes, and they were on a test drive. And the, the salesperson okay. in the Mercedes, said, as they approached the car, said, you know, don't, don't hit the brakes. You can see how the AB, AEB will work. And they rear-ended this Ugh. poor girl and sent her to the hospital. Ugh. And it's like this, this misunderstanding, even at the dealership yeah. level, you know, it's, 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 it's really problematic, yeah. So a lot of people also wonder, and there are a lot of auto enthusiasts, obviously, in the live audience here, and uh, clearly uh, the Talking Cars fans who watch the show, um, regularly, but people who love to drive, right? Like I still drive a manual transmission car. I love, I can't imagine the day I'm not gonna drive a car. But is there a future for us where self-governed driving, i.e. us, uh, we humans behind the wheel on public roads could be outlawed, could be illegal? Is that possible? No. <laughs> you heard it, I had Jake Fisher. <laughs> yes, you could clap. <laughs> no. I, and this is, goes back to the estimate of when is this really going to happen. So I think there will be a situation where we'd be partners. And that's just fine. Because you let the computer drive in the places where you don't want to drive, and stop and go traffic, and all that stuff that's pretty repeatable, and, and then we can go drive when we want to drive. Um, you know, it's going to be way out in the future if you ever get in that situation. You know, if you were going to restart the auto industry with the technology that we have, yeah, maybe. Maybe you would start in this situation where all the cars are self-driving, they all talk to each other, and they all play nice. 
but we're not going to go backwards. We can't, we can't reinvent everything. And uh, I, I think that's not a bad thing. I would add two, so two things he touched on. So one is this ability of the cars to talk to one another that we didn't talk about today, this V to V. That's where there's another level of potential for when things change. When these routes change and all of a sudden that there's been a hurricane and there's been a washout, now either infrastructure to vehicle or vehicle to vehicle can say, hey, there's no road here anymore. Right. Be ready for that. That's the next step in this. Sure. And the other is, it's going to be such a long time. I had this vision, you know, that you'll go in, in 50 years from now. My daughter rides horses. I think I told you so. You go to a horse show. Horses at one time were transportation. You went to a horse. So now you go to a horse show to ride. Maybe we go to a car show to drive. So I was like, oh, we'll go and we'll compete in cars. But that's where you go, to a dude ranch. But it's a car ranch. <laughs> yeah. We've already talked to some people. Yeah, I know, we, we didn't know we were going to the dude, the dude ranch. ranch. We are. We're at yes. the dude ranch. They're called racetracks. Yeah, you, yeah. There's these people here. That, <laughs> I was getting the horse thing in there. David, you got anything to add to that? <laughs> I, I can't top that. <laughs> All right. Wait, we're going to go to our audience questions in just a few moments. But before we do, I want to spend a couple of beats here on what consumers should do if they are shopping for a car right now, right? Should they be waiting because the technology is evolving so fast that whatever they might buy could be quickly obsolete? And, and if not, what, what are the key features to look for right now? Jen, you want to start? Yeah, so, so we've already touched on it. And these are the ones where the data exists, because that's the other piece that's missing right now. There's not the data that says, hey, these semi-autonomous functionality are a huge safety benefit, that data. But there is data, as David mentioned. Automatic emergency braking, forward collision warning, lane departure mitigation or lane departure warnings. Those have real data behind them that say these are a benefit, these are a safety benefit in driving, and, and people should be looking for those building blocks as we go. Those are the ones, and you know, unfortunately, it's difficult. It's difficult, you know, trying to figure out which vehicles have that equipment. And we put it on our website, and you can mm -hmm. look at it. But even if you know the vehicle has that as an option, you go to the dealership, and they're like, "Oh, it's got the safety package." Well, the safety package doesn't come with that. It comes with something else, you know, and it comes with an adjustable steering wheel and a big sunroof. So it's so confusing, and you know, all all we could just ask you as a you know, to go and, and, and figure this stuff out, you know, unfortunately. We try to help as much as we can, but it's like try to figure out, it's like, yes, you want AEB, you want automatic emergency braking, and even if you get the technology package three, it may not have it, and that's unfortunate, the confusion that exists right now. Which is part of why we, Consumer Reports, are including benefits in our, in our scoring for cars that make those standard equipment. It's our, our push to the industry saying, hey, you really need to put these on every trim level. Forget these technology packages. Make sure everybody gets these. Yeah, but we, we, we buy cars. We buy the cars right. that we test. And, and yeah, we have these experiences. And we're like, we're looking for this, this, this piece of safety equipment. And they're like, no, the crash protection is really good. It's got airbags. You don't need that. <laughs> it's five it's stars. Like, <laughs> five stars. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I'd put it this way. One, safety should never be a luxury. Right. I mean, that's exactly what, what, what uh, Jen and Jake are talking about. These features should come standard in every car out there. It shouldn't be something that only the people who can afford uh, to be safer can get. Um, I, I'd also argue one, one other thing, and, and maybe Jake, you could talk a little bit about this. One emerging technology that we're really curious about, again, don't have the data yet, but is technology that maybe it'll make folks a little uncomfortable on the one hand on the privacy side, um, but it could save your life is, is driver monitoring technology yeah. that could actually start to tell 
Are you distracted? Are you drowsy? Maybe if they can do it well enough and combine it with some other technology, are you drunk and should you just not be driving? So that's something else that, you know, we need, we need some more time and some more data, but I'm pretty excited about that potential. Last question before we go to our, our audience questions. I, for people who have not driven any of the cars, I mean, you have the luxury of this fleet of cars and you get, the, we buy the new cars that come into the track that have some of these new advances in, in self, I'm putting this in quotes, self-driving technology, sure. right? Because we are not there. What is, what would you tell people, like what is the most fun and interesting thing <laughs> or the, the safety feature you love most personally, each of you, when you get behind the wheel of these cars? And Jake, we'll start with you. Oh, I'm gonna be boring. I, <clears throat> I still like to drive. You know, I mean, I like to drive a car that has, that, and, and it, <laughs> I'm going to see. you know what a great safety feature is? That manual transmission that you still drive. Because you know what it does? It keeps you still engaged in the driving experience. You know what's going on. You know what speed you're going. You're not drifting. You see these people. And I'm not texting. You're not. I, I'm not. You're physically, <laughs> it's Not that I powerful. would anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's like you see these people, and we all, we all see the people in front of us that, that we know they're on the cell phone. They start s slowing down and they start drifting. When you start slowing down, you're a stick shift. You, you need to know that because I don't get to change a gear. So, so uh, certainly for my teenage <laughs> kid, they're driving a stick because I think that is a safety feature. And I think there's a lot of stall, you know, having good brakes, having a car that goes around corners well, and, and that stuff still is important. Jen? I'm going to build and I'm going to kind of flip what he said on his head. I'm engaged. I'm probably the most cautious of, of all the drivers here. I'm the one who's, like I said, I'm the voice of reason. So, but I have those features, okay? So I have them. I'm engaged, I'm paying attention, I'm, I'm steering, but the guy around me is not. Mm. He is the person who is texting. Why is he he? He. <laughs> well, in general. Actually, actually, actually the data supports her on this. The data supports me, see? He right. is the person who's doing his yeah. mascara as he's moving it. <laughs> but exactly, that's who I want protection right. from. I can be 100% engaged, but when he's all over the road or coming into my lane and I have this stuff to back me up, that's to me the greatest, yeah. greatest benefit. And I just, here, here. <laughs> I just quickly add ditto to what all they said, but I also just want to mention a technology that's close to my heart. Um, which is in some ways a small and simple technology, but it's backup cameras. Um, there is this tragedy that happens year after year. I get choked up even trying to say it, where parents sometimes will back over their own children or grandparents, and it, it, it's just horrific. And it was a huge fight to get that technology required on all new cars by 2018, and, and this was, I was at NHTSA when we finally got that across the line, but I wanna call out Consumer Reports on that because Consumer Reports pushed hardcore to help make that happen, and kids are safer. Thank you for that, David. And uh, I think this is a good moment now. Let's uh, take, take a few questions from the audience. I think we have some of our folks ready to go. There you are. My name is Kelly, I'm from New York. So uh, semi-autonomous features usually add, are bundled in very high optioned uh, cars that add five to $10,000 to the price of the car. With that in mind, is it worth getting a car, a semi-autonomous uh, driving car now, or is it best to wait you know, a, a generation or two for technology to mature? Well, you know, it, it depends on the vehicle. I mean, I mean right now, um, the systems out there, they're convenience at best. And 
you know, it just, it's, it's maturing so quickly, you know, and I talked about the Cadillac supercruise that we have. I mean, that may very well change the outlook on this technology. Um, so I would say really kind of hold tight and see what goes on. I mean, current cars right now, they're so much safer than a car five years ago in so many different ways. I would say just enjoy that, but, but I would not be rushing out right now to get these semi-autonomous features. I'd be rushing out to get those building blocks, right. the AV, the FCW, yeah. but I would also carefully consider how you're driving and where you're driving. If you're someone who knows every day you're sitting in five or 10 miles or, you know, of bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic and you think they would benefit you, you may want to consider them. If you're driving roads like these, probably not. Good question. Thank Thanks so much for that. Uh, I'm Paul from Metuchen, New Jersey, and uh, the question is, have, have you considered that uh, an autonomous car encourages driver inattention and basic erosion of their skills. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Anything you don't do regularly, you're going to deteriorate. Yeah, I mean, skills. I mean, yes. going forward, we may be living, going to a point where everyone is an amateur at driving. Everyone's a rookie driver, and that won't be a good thing if we're still required to be there on that emergency, on that unknown. So that is a consideration. Actually, in the, um, the airline industry, we have seen some of this, where, where there's so much reliance on the electronics that, honestly, probably the pilots today are not as good as the ones before. We've seen it in the rail transit industry, which I work in, so, okay. Paul, yeah. you're going to need a, a trained dude ranch and a plane. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. The horse riders were better before. <laughs> yes. That's what I'm saying. Paul, thanks for that. Hi. Hi, Greg from Connecticut. If a car loses its brakes and had the choice between running over a group of pedestrians or hitting a wall, what would an autonomous car do? Well, so the first and most honest answer is we don't yet know. Because right. we don't know what decisions automakers are making. What you're asking, this is the, the classic trolley car problem that comes up in all ethics classes where in this case it's, you know, if there's a trolley car heading for a track with five people and you have the ability to switch it to a track with only one person, what would you do? I know what I'd do if I was in that car. I'd want to hit the wall because you'd save more, more lives. This is a fundamental ethical and moral question. And it's hard to underestimate how challenging this is for the auto industry. Sadly, though, the Secretary of Transportation recently removed ethical considerations from guidelines around automated vehicles. So when I said we got a lot of work to do, I'm not kidding. It's an important, important question. Greg, thank, thank you. you for that. And, and David, thank you for that answer. Clearly, lots of all the manufacturers is something they're going to have to wrestle yes. with this going forward. I think we have time for one more question. Sir, hi. I'm Jim from South Windsor, Connecticut. And I'm curious what problems you may foresee when we have semi-autonomous and perhaps eventually fully autonomous vehicles sharing the roadway with cars that have no vehicle autonomy whatsoever. Pandemonium. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> you know, this is, this is definitely a, a big issue. So there is an opportunity. So you can almost retrofit some of the other vehicles that even if they aren't, aren't, uh, aren't autonomous. I mean, V2V is something we had to like, brushed upon. But it's like you can actually retrofit some of the vehicles so that at least the autonomous vehicles could see where they are. But, but ultimately, this is the, one of the fundamental problems because humans are not, shall we say, uh, repeatable. Um, we have a randomness about us. So this is going to be a big problem. Um, you can't start over fresh, but that's going to be a big issue going forward and, and potentially just move this 
far down the road when you could actually get to a full autonomy like that. Well, Go ahead, Dave. Yeah. Well, we actually, some of the car companies who are experimenting with these vehicles actually see this problem already out on the road where people will be like, hey, there's an autonomous car there. Why don't I jump in front of it to see what it does? <laughs> <laughs> that is actually happening to them. Or you could think of ways you could, you could snarl up traffic if you really wanted to. You just stand in front of an autonomous car and what's it going to do? not going to run you over, hopefully, unless they fail their ethical test there. But, um, but you know, I, these, are, these are real challenges, and it goes back to this is why we need guardrails in place to help make sure that automakers design for exactly these situations. I was just going to add, Jim, maybe, maybe these dedicated lanes for a while are, are part of that. You think of the HOV or high occupancy vehicle lanes we have in Connecticut. Maybe we re repurpose those for just autonomous cars or something along those but, lines. But, but, but here's the fundamental issue, is that if we're ready to give handover control to the computers, right, they need to be better than us. So humans can deal with other humans. Mm -hmm. We need to get to the point where they're better than us because if they're not better than us, we're not seeing a safety benefit of computers at the wheel. Excellent question. All audience questions were excellent. Uh, I have one last one from you, and I think this actually appeared on, on our Facebook page at one point, but someone wondered, will Consumer Reports auto experts actually still have jobs reviewing cars if they're all oh, fully autonomous? Geez. Spotlight on Jake. I gotta, I gotta work on my resume. Um, <laughs> sure, I mean, we absolutely will because, you know, there's still gonna be vehicles, there's gonna be still transport, and it's going to certainly be better ones. So, so yes, let's say they're completely autonomous. Um, we're going to have to see how the cars ride, uh, the noise, um, the comfort, and you know, we make it to the point where they're how they drive is different. You know, depending on what kind of car you get, is it an aggressive driver or a comfortable driver? I mean, there's different personalities. So, so there's definitely going, going to be a lot for us to do, and of course, making sure that these vehicles are safe. Jen, are you optimistic about future employment? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> certainly until I retire, based on these timelines. You could test but, horses. But, yeah, and I'm, then I'm going to do drinks store. But no. Um, but also, as, as we get there, the implementation is what we're going to test. Yeah. They're all going to do these, these activities like we're demonstrated. Some of you, you experienced them today. They're going to navigate the lines. They're going to stop for a target. But the, the, again, the two things that we talked about, the, the takeover and then confirming driver engagement and the implementation safely is what we have years of work to do before we get to, to the complete picture. David, the contrarian, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> yes. Well, on one hand, I, I, I nod to my colleagues and think they're, they may be right. But I got to admit, I hope I don't have a job. I would love <laughs> to get to the point where these vehicles can solve this problem and I don't need to do this stuff. I can spend more time with my family and you know, find other ways of employing myself. So I hope we can get to that point where we don't need folks like me pushing for change, but we're not there yet, that's for sure. That is a great place for us to leave it there today. Thank you all so much for that amazing discussion. It's been my privilege to sit in with my colleagues on this show and more of your Talking Cars favorites will be back for the next episode. Thanks so much for being with us. Woo!